Okay, um, we are holding in Shar HaBitochen from Rabbeinu Bechayi. We took a, a break for a couple of weeks. The last week was Purim. The week before we did some lessons from Bitochen from the Yom Tov of Purim. So we're going to go back to three weeks ago. And we left off in the middle of Perik Revi, in the middle of chapter 4 of Shar HaBitochen. Shar HaBitochen has seven prokhim, seven chapters, as we mentioned a couple of times. And we are in the middle of the fourth Perik. And um, this parish, this chapter deals with a lot of very, very practical uh, a lot of practical points about Bitochen, how to practically um, practice Bitochen in various areas, in different areas of our life. In fact, in the beginning of the parak, he broke it up into seven parts. He says he's going to talk about seven areas and ways of practicing bitachan in our life. Um, and this is something we discussed, and I'm just going to run through it very quickly. The first, he says, is in uh, the phys- basic physical needs of every person. The basic physical needs of a person, what's, what's the appropriate practice of bitachan in that. Number two was more the monetary acquisitions of a person, and the business dealings of a person. And number three was in relationships with family, relationships with, with friends and other people, social relationships. That was all the first three. And then moves on to number four and five, which we won't, which we'll uh, get to a little bit later in Mir Sashem. So the first part he talked about a person's own uh, situation and life and death and health. And we talked about the idea of believing how everything comes from Hashem and the time when a person lives and how much a person is going to live and so on and so forth. And at the same time, we talked about the importance of Ishtadlus and recognizing that we're supposed to be healthy and not to endanger ourselves. We talked about doctors. All of that was in part one, which we discussed a couple of weeks ago. Part two, which I think is what we were discussing uh, three weeks ago, part two is about uh, mon- uh, monetary acquisitions and parnasa and a person's bitachen over there. Um, and there too, he talked about that a person should recognize that, yes, we have to make our keli, or our vessel, or our siba, our shtadlus, whichever word you're going to use, but that we recognize that what we're going to receive, we're receiving directly from Hashem, and we have a mitzvah um, to do our avodah, to do our, again, siba, or shtadlus, or keli, as well. Uh, we brought the pasuk, it says, Ubirachecha Hashem alokecha bechol asher ta'aseh. That Hashem gives us bracha, but the bracha that He gives us is through the vessels that we create. But He says the big mistake is when we start believing in the vessels as being the source, and of course the vessels are not the source, they are merely vessels. Um, then He started talking about, and, and we just I think this is the last thing we talked about, He says some people are blessed with greater wealth. Um, and the first thing He says is that a person who's supposed to be blessed with greater wealth does not mean that they have to work harder for it. He says, a person makes their kalim. And if a person is, is, is to be blessed with greater wealth, then whatever kalim one makes is going to be sufficient to open up the channels for that wealth. And that's why you have, uh, sometimes you can have uh, different people, each one makes, same, puts in the same amount of effort or makes the same types of kalim. And for, and for one it works, and for one it doesn't work that much, that well. And that's because of this idea that, the keli is merely a keli. How much wealth a person is going to have, a mess, is really the bracha of Hashem. And he says that typically when Hashem gives a person greater wealth, it's because that person is being entrusted with that wealth, not just for themselves. 
that is there because this person, Hashem chose this person with the unique zuchus of being a vehicle in order to shear and sustain and to support others as well. And he talked about three typical mistakes. Very fascinating. He talks about three common mistakes of the people who Hashem blesses them and they receive a lot of extra parnasa, a lot of extra wealth. And what are the three um, typical uh, mistakes? He says, the first mistake is that a person... What happened now? Are people here? Yeah. Okay. Um, the first mistake is, he says, that people um, attribute their success to their cunningness and their... Um, and their, uh, the methods that they used in order to achieve that success. And therefore, he says many times people will stoop to different types of activities that are not permissible halakhically or legally or not safe um, because they're feeling, listen, I, I, gotta, I gotta, make the, gotta make the extra buck. And a person, especially a person who's successful and feels the need to continue that success, so stoops to various measures in order to ensure the continued success. And he says, that's a big mistake. That mistake comes directly from a lack of bitachin. Because this person starts believing that in order to succeed, they have to do A, B, C. Whereas if a person recognizes that the bracha that one is going to receive comes from Hashem, so a person would never think of doing something which is not according to Torah, not according to halacha, not legal, um, not safe, as, a, as making a keli, because Hashem doesn't need those kalim. Hashem is perfectly fine with the kalim that you're going to make in a proper way. So that's mistake number one that he said, is when the person starts believing that the vessels are the source, and therefore they stoop to various um, types of deeds or misdeeds with the vessels. Um, number two, as he says, the second mistake is when a person thinks that everything they make is for, for themselves and for their immediate need. Right? If, if a person is blessed and Baruch Hashem, they do well in Parnassah, so that means that they have to pamper themselves with every whim and everything that they can fancy because after all, I made all that. It's obviously for me and it's obviously to use right away. Mm -hmm. And he says, that's a big mistake. And he says, for, he says, because when Hashem gives someone things, it could be for a number of reasons. There's to take care of one's needs, of course, but then there is Hashem, he entrusted it with you for others. And there's so many others that you could share it with. It's not meant um, for your usage and immediate usage. And number three, he says, is that many times Hashem just gives it to you and it's just meant to sit there. And you might need it later, or your children might need it, or someone else might need it. You don't even know. The fact that Hashem gave you something doesn't mean that it's intended for immediate use and to, again, to fulfill every desire. Mm -hmm. And that is the second mistake, he says. Right? So again, mistake number one was that a person feels that it's the, uh, it's the, uh, it's the vessels that are, that are causing it. Mistake number two is that a person thinks that it's for himself to have right now. And mistake number three, he says, is even when a person does give tzedakah and does help other people, but they feel very, very haughty about it, and they feel that the other people owe them. After all, I helped them, and I gave them, I put them on their feet. I helped them with their parnasa, I helped, you know, build this uh, whatever shul, whatever it is. So I need my name in big letters, and, and, and after all, I, I gave them. And he says, that's mistake number three, because really all, all the person did, he says, it is a mitzvah, but this was given to you in order to give to them. Um, and that's what it was all about. It's not as if you, you really had it and it's really yours. It's that Hashem's way of giving it to them was by giving you the mitzvah to help them as well. And that's the third mistake that he says of those people, the, the third possible mistake that there is, of those people that Hashem gives the, that extra wealth 
in order to help, in order to give, and so on and so forth. And these are, he says, three common mistakes that all come from a lack of that clarity of vision. That it's a bracha from Hashem, and if it's given to me, that means Hashem is giving me the extra zchus and the extra mitzvah of shearing and helping all those that I have the ability to. Question. Yes. About, actually, about number two. Okay. Um, you know, there's, when, when people pass away and there's a Yerusha, mm-hmm. there's always like, not always, there's many times lots of fighting about what the will, right. okay? So how do you know if you should fight or not? How do you know where, like, this is the situation. This was money that was supposed to be for later, it seems, because mm-hmm. the person died. And, it, and how do you know whether you just accept or fight, not fair, it should have been this, they said that. How do you know what to do? That's an, ex- that's an excellent question. Excellent, and I'm not going to pretend that I know exactly the answer to that question. But my, the first thought that comes to mind is that there is halacha. There is what's according to Allah and according to Torah and according to Bezdin. Um, and a person goes to a Rav, or if there's more than one, it's two Rabbanah, three Rabbanah, a Bezdin, whatever it is. And hopefully the correct Halacha is determined. Whatever Halacha says belongs to a person, that belongs to that person. And that's that person's course to use in the proper ways. Um, but if a person loses that, and this is where it gets complicated. If a person loses that din Torah or so on and so forth, so a person should recognize, okay, so that's that's not, that's not that wasn't meant for me. And instead of uh, harboring that anger and you know not talking to each other for the next ten years, if that's if it was meant to come to me, it will come to me. Um, and I, I'm I'm supposed to I'm not supposed to just walk away and say, okay, if you want it, it's yours. That's why there is Torah and the halacha and din Torahs. Um, but to be able to have the honesty to accept that entire whatever it is and, and take it from there. Okay? So that's as far as that. Um, I think this is exactly, actually, till where we got last time. So now he moves on. And this is, again, we're still continuing in Perik Revi in chapter 4. He says, he, say, he goes off a little bit on a tangent and talks about the people who are looking for extra wealth for the sake of honor, for the sake of covenant. He says that's a common thing that people want, um, they want to be able to amass a tremendous amount of wealth and they make it a, a big priority in their lives because they see the honor that many times people have for those who are wealthy. Um, and he says, obviously he says that that's a silly reason. He says uh, something, honor in general is not something that a person, uh, it's not a positive thing to be looking for in life. But he says specifically when it comes to the honor that people, people have for the wealthy. And he goes into it a little bit. He says, why do people honor the wealthy? What's the reason why when a person is wealthy, suddenly people are honoring them and asking them for advice and all types of things, right? And sometimes um, when a person, nebuch, sometimes they lose their wealth and suddenly people aren't asking them for advice as much and they're wondering what's going on. After all, they just lost their wealth, not their wisdom. <laughs> but the, um, the, the, the fact is that he says the people accord honor to the wealthy. He says, what's the reason for it? He says the reason why people accord honor to the wealthy is because they think that by honoring them, flattering them, and so on, somehow they'll be beneficiary of it. Right? So it's not an honor for the sake of honor. It's an honor of maybe that's a way to get my shoe in, that you know, I'm friends with the rich guy in the black, so I'll also somehow become a little richer from it as well. And this is right away where he comes into best form and says, but that's against bitochen. Because bitachin means that I know that the, whatever I'm supposed to get, I'm going to get. Whatever I'm not supposed to get, I'm not going to get. And all the different means are not significant. In other words, if I'm going to be successful 
then I don't need to flatter the wealthy person on my block in order to become wealthier because it's coming to me. And if it's not coming to me, all that flattery is in vain. And he says, so this whole concept of, of the honoring of the wealthy, he says, is, a, is a, a silly. And he says it's really, again, based on a basic lack of bitachin. And a person thinks that by using these various methods, that's the way I'm going to increase what's otherwise coming to me. And he says, and therefore, really, the only um, worthy honor is when you honor a person because of their midas toivis, because of their closeness to Hashem, because of their stature. That's an honor that's not for personal gain so that I should get something out of it. That's, that's honoring Hashem. And I'm honoring it, Hashem and those who are close to Hashem and so on. Honoring people, somebody because a nonprofit institution needs something. It's not personal gain, but for the cloud. Oh, so, so there's interesting. I, I, I'm going to say something. I don't know if it's a direct answer to your question. You'll tell me. But the Gemara says, Rebbe Mechabed Ashirim. The Rebbe, Rebbe Yehuda Anasi, who wrote the Mishnayis, um, um, accorded a special kavod to the wealthy. So the question is asked, how does that fit with what he's saying over here? Here the Chavis Halvavis is like ridiculing, mock, mocking this whole thing of honoring the wealthy for personal gain. And yet, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, the great Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, the author of Mishnayis, says, Mechabed Ashim, the Gemara says. So the, the, answer, the explanation given is the following. Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi wasn't being Mechabed, wasn't honoring the wealthy because he's trying to flatter them to get some money from them. First of all, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi was a tzaddik and wouldn't go to that. But aside from that, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi was wealthier than all of the Ashirim. He himself, um, the Gemara tells us, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi was one of the wealthiest people of his generation. Like him and the Roman emperor was the question, who was wealthier? He was fabulously wealthy. So clearly he wasn't honoring the wealthy because he was looking to, hopefully they'll give him a little uh, you know, kickback on the side, right? Rather, as the Rebbe explains, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi saw in wealthy people that for the fact that Hashem entrusted them with so much wealth, that means Hashem gives them special koiches mm-hmm. to be benefactors, to give, to help, to give tzedakah. And as Hashem trusted them in a sense. Mm-hmm. And therefore, Yehuda Nasi saw that koach within them and he honored them for that. Mm-hmm. And by doing that, he actually awakened within them that koach and that, that idea to give, to give and to give of their wealth. Because he saw in them their, their function. And that, again, if Hashem made him an usher, that means Hashem trusts that person. Partner. Is a, to be a partner, to be the one. He's like Hashem's Gabbai Tzedakah. He's like a, the one giving out Hashem's brachas. So Rehazanasi says, this is a person worthy of honor because of the fact that Hashem trusted him and entrusted him. And by doing that, he himself, um, he was helping those people find that koach within themselves as well. So that's a whole different level, obviously. Very interestingly, in our, own, in our generation, the Rebbe, in the last, I don't know, 10 years or so, had this concept of the, the Machin Yisrael Development Fund. And people who were typically the wealthier people, the people who were able to you know, give very, very big commitments, they had met with them twice a year and it was a big thing. And it was seemingly based on this concept of Rebbe Mechabe Dashirim, those people who had that, that additional ability. So Rebbe Yudha Anasi and the Siddiquim saw that in them and brought them closer and, and showed them, accorded them that honor and respect as being partners of Hashem in that way. But clearly what he's mocking is a whole different type of thing, which is the insincere flattery that's much more common by people of, oh, he's a wealthy person and, you know, let's, let's be his best friend and ask him advice. That's what he's mocking and saying that that's really a lack of real bitachim. Okay. Um, another point. And, um, and again, this is, I find this chapter especially very, very almost oversimplified and practical, but going through the steps of Bitochen. He says something else. He says... Is this number five now? 
Number five of what? Seven. No, we're still in number two of the seven, which is dealing with financial. We're talking in all financial areas. Okay. We're still in number two, right? Um, it looks like financial areas is a big part of life. <laughs> At least it was back then. Okay, he says another thing is that people feel um, if I was successful, you know why? Because I had a really good idea. I figured it out. Like I, I had this really smart thing and I did it and I can tell anyone because I cornered the market and I know how to do it. And he says, and, and we start believing that our successes are based on how good we played something or how quick we were, how smart we were and so on and so forth. And obviously we know where this is going because this is all part of the 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 lack of bitachin, right? So he gives a very interesting example, a very, very interesting metaphor, a little bit of a, a little harsh. He says, he says, you have a person who's traveling in the desert and he's very, very thirsty. He's very thirsty and there's no water. Um, and he finally reaches a well, but that well is very bitter water. It's very, very bitter, not clean, it's not good water, but he's so thirsty that he's very happy. He found water and he's very proud of himself that he was able to quench his thirst. He says, then he drinks, and then he goes a little further in the desert, and there, there's a beautiful well of sparkling water. But now, he's not thirsty. So what happened is that he, really, he quenched his thirst in, the, in a way that was not so helpful to him. And, I mean, it took care of the problem. He got what he needed, but it wasn't nice, it wasn't clean, it wasn't fresh, and so on and so forth. Whereas, if he would have waited a little more, he would have been, been able to accomplish the same thing, but in a sweet and beautiful way. Now, the person didn't know. It's not his fault. He didn't know, so he didn't know. But imagine if there was a bigger picture and someone standing outside, he said, don't drink that first water, wait a little bit, the water will be so much greater. The point of this metaphor is, this person is going to be, his thirst is going to be quenched. Because there is water there. But the question is, which way will it be quenched? Will it be quenched in a beautiful, fresh, uh, you know, nourishing way? Or will it be quenched in a very not um, so pleasant way? Right? He says the same thing is when, when Hashem has Parnassah in store for a person. So there's one person who has bitachon and Hashem, and he goes to Daven, and he learns his shir of Torah. Then he goes to the job, and Hashem takes care of it. The other person is very um, nervous and how are we going to get it? So he wakes up early and he doesn't dive in or he dives very quickly and runs and he makes, he, he makes the deal. So he says, wow, I made the deal. You know, you see, I, I was smart. I made it happen. I skipped davening today, but I got, I got the deal. What the person doesn't realize is you could have gotten the same deal in a better way, in a sweeter way, and you could have davened properly, and you could have learned Torah properly. So the fact that you made the deal doesn't mean that that's the only way Hashem can give you the deal. Mm -hmm. right? it's, a, like, it's a very oversimplified muscle, but he's saying the fact that you, you're, you're very happy, look, I made it. So what if I had to you know, run away and not be there for my kids and not daven, but I made the deal. He says, Hashem can give you a deal without all that. Right? Like that, that cam camel driver that, yeah, they're very happy they quench their thirst. If they would have waited another hour, they would have quenched it in so much a more pleasurable and healthy way. He says, the same is here. The fact that I made the deal, if I made the deal, again, he says this a thousand times, if I made the deal, you can be sure you would have made a deal today. 
it didn't have to be in the way where you were angry and you were upset and you were you weren't friendly to people and you didn't get to daven. You couldn't take say good morning to the kids. You could have made the same deal in a way that's comfortable also with more bitachin and Hashem. That's his. That is the metaphor that he gives us here. Um, okay, what if sometimes I don't make the deal? I didn't have a good day at, at work and. Um, the plan didn't work out, right? I, I invested, and that day it, it didn't work out. And I came home, and um, right? So he says, what should one think? And here he gives us a few very beautiful and very powerful meditations. What a person does, and again, right now we're Parnassah-focused. Um, we're going to move on to other things, but this is where he's at right now. He says, what a boteach alolokim, a person who's truly a, bo- a boteach, what if one day it doesn't work? That day he comes home, and he's empty-handed. What do you think? Like, okay, Hashem forgot about me today. Like, when Hashem's on vacation, right? What, what, what does he think? He says, a person has to think to himself. He says, just like Hashem brought me into this world, right? It's interesting. I think tonight we're, um, we talked earlier about the sponsors, that tonight we're talking about a couple of birthdays, right? Um, it's also a birthday, one of my children tonight, uh, today, uh, 25 years ago today, the Esti. Chaf, Chaf Adar, right? My daughter in today. Anyway, so he says like this. He says that a person should be misbeing and a person should, med- should reflect. That just like Hashem brought me into this world exactly at the right time. And he didn't ask me for it, right? It had nothing, very little to do with me. I just entered into this world like what my birthday is, I had nothing to do with, right? And Hashem gave me life and brought me into this world exactly at the right moment, exactly at the right time. Um, not a day before, not a day after. So the same way is my parnasa is going to come exactly at the right time. I thought today I had to make that deal. Seems that Hashem knows today is not the right day for me. And it's going to be tomorrow or next week. We don't know exactly. But we have to remember, we don't control our destiny. We don't control our times. So we're born on a certain day. That's the day we're supposed to be born at. And I'll just, I'll go off on a tangent for a second. And um, I'll say over, um, I don't remember which one of our children was bo- was, was ready a couple days or maybe over a week after the due date and the doctors were talking about um, trying to induce it and so on and so forth. And I talked to a very important Rav in New York and he told me, he says, until the doctors don't say that you must, you know, if, if medically they say you must, you know, sakana, sakana, we know that. But until then, if it's for convenience or, you know, he says, don't do it because every person has the right muzzle when they're supposed to be born. And he says, sometimes the doctors feel like, why not? You know, a couple, a couple days we'll play earlier. Golf. What? Go we'll play golf. Right. He says, sometimes the doctors, is, you know, it's before the weekend. And <laughs> they might be called, calling on Saturday or Sunday. Let's do it on Thursday. Like, why not? Right. He says, but that's not, that's not our approach. He says, because a person has a muzzle. There's the time when they're supposed to be born. Again, I, just to be clear, he said, sakana, sakana. I get it. But aside from sakana, anything else, a person has a muzzle. And that's what he seems to be saying here as well. I was born on a certain date, not the day before, not the day after. And in the same way, he says, today Hashem decided wasn't the day this was going to happen. Okay, he knows what he's doing because I'm also born in that way. And therefore, it'll be tomorrow, it'll be next week, it'll be exactly when Hashem wants it. That's one point he makes. Then he says, what about if the Parnas is coming, but there's a period in my life when it's very, very bitsimsum. It means, how do you say simsum? It's very... um, No, no, limited. Very limited, very, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just making it, right? There's, there's, you know, 
in throughout life, there are times when the bracha is more revealed, and times when I'm just making it. So, so what should, how, do, how does the boteach Bahashem deal with this? And he says again, he says reflect, and he says that going back to when I was a tiny little baby, and what did I eat? I, I was nourished from my mother's milk, which was just enough for me. Right? I wasn't putting, I wasn't storing milk in storehouses. I wasn't putting anything away. I was getting to, to get by every day. And that's how I grew. And he says, in the same thing as Klal Yisrael, when we were in our infant state in the Midbar, how much did we have? Hashem gave us food every day for that day. That was the message of the month. Hashem gives me food on Sunday for Sunday, but I have nothing for Monday. Hashem will take care of me on Monday as well. And in fact, I believe we've spoken about it before, that the Mun was that powerful bitachon lesson for the first 40 years of our existence, where basically we were 1,000% reliant on Hashem. Like, what's going to be tomorrow? Hashem will provide. In the most literal sense, it will come from heaven. So when things are, are, are limited, and we don't know where tomorrow is coming from, and we have nothing put away for next week, Let's remember when we were infants, each one personally and call Yisrael as a, as a nation and recognize that, yes, at the end of the day, Hashem will take care of me today and will take care of me tomorrow and the next day. And that he says, that's the, the meditation for when times are difficult and I'm not making enough to put away even for tomorrow. And he says, and we get a special schar for that. There's a special schar for being able to have a bitachon that Hashem will take care of me tomorrow. In fact, we say it in our davening or Hashem in Kippur that that was one of the special schar that we had when we left Mitzrayim and went into the desert. Right? We say, chesed right? that we, Hashem remembers for, uh, from us the love that we showed when we were infants. That we went after Hashem in the Midbar in the desert and trusted that Hashem will provide because there was no other form of provision whatsoever. And that's what sometimes we're called upon to do as well and trust that Hashem will provide. And yes, I don't see exactly where it's coming from tomorrow, but to have that type of bitachin. You know, it's so easy to see with the man that Hashem provided every day, but they had to, they had to say, oh, maybe, maybe tomorrow he's not going to. Even after... Ten years. How do we know tomorrow? How do we know tomorrow? They had to have their bitachon all no, the time. There's no question. On the one hand, we think about them. Wow, they lived a miraculous life. Right. On the other hand, they had zero for tomorrow. Zero. Right. Which is against basic human nature for security. We need security. What's going to be tomorrow? We go crazy about tomorrow, right? And for the first 40 full years of our existence, we had no idea where tomorrow was coming from. And that's a message that sometimes we have to lean back on, lean on hard. When, when we talk, I don't know about tomorrow. And that's exactly also, what he's saying here. You also have to be, make yourself a Kaylee. Like, you can't just say, um, you know, like, like, I think about a person, let's say, they, that they lost their job, right? And they really, and, and you're looking for a job, they're trying to find something, and they, they don't have the money. Right. Um, so you, you can't just say, oh, I'm not going to look for a job, I'm not going to do anything because Hashem will provide. No right? It's like you have to... You have to and he keeps on saying that. He yeah. keeps on saying that. There's no question about that whatsoever. We have an achrayis, we have a halachic responsibility from the Torah to do our best. At the same time, while we're doing our best, things happen. And there are times when the windows are open and things are flowing, and times when it's not, and times when it's difficult. That's the story of life. And he's telling us how to treat these various different situations and what, what, which bitachin to fall, fall back on, so to speak, in different situations. 
But uh, throughout the Sefer, he never um, suggests that we shouldn't be doing our best and making a keli. That's a chiv. Okay? He goes on. He says, what if sometimes our parnasa or what we need comes from people or places or situations that we don't like? We're not happy that we are now receiving it from this place. Um, and that also happens. Sometimes, because of whatever circumstance, it's not working the way I planned it. And therefore, suddenly, I, I'm, I'm getting what I need, but I'm getting it from places that I don't really appreciate. I don't like that vessel, right? So again, he says, let's go back to another meditation. And he says... He says that Hashem created me in a specific way. And Hashem brought me into this world through two people, no one else. He, he, again, he didn't ask me, right? Do we always appreciate our parents? You know, as, as we get older and more mature, hopefully more and more. But sometimes I would say, you know, I don't know, right? And nevertheless, Hashem created me exactly the way I am. And Hashem created me through, the, through, the, through those parents who brought me into this world. And I am a product of all that. And sometimes Hashem says, and I and your parnasa is coming from this place for now. Says, it all comes back to relying and, and recognizing that whatever is happening, Hashem is making it happen. Um, and therefore to be able to accept it. And to accept it, besimcha, recognizing this is how Hashem decided that I was going to be provided, I'm going to be provided for now. Again, does that mean that I have to stay that way for the rest of my life? Of course not. And does that mean that I can't look for another thing? Of course. But yet, today, if this is the source of my parnasa, that's the way Hashem wanted to give it to me today. So these are just a couple of points just to review. He talked about what do we do when sometimes the parnasa is not coming. Um, he talked about the, the meditation that I was born at the right time, in the right day, not before, not after. Everything has its right time. What if it's bit simsum? What if it's limited? To, to think about when we had the mom, to think about when we're a baby and we're just living off our, our mother every day. And finally, he talks about when it's coming from places that we're not comfortable with. Yes, sometimes things come from places. Hashem has his reasons why these are the agents through which the hashpa, through which the bracha is coming from. And this is the end of the second section. Right? As I said it, in the, I said it uh, last year and again tonight, this is Perik Revi, chapter 4, which he breaks up into seven basic um, places of bitachon, parts of our, or, or areas of our bitachon. The second was financial success and, finan- and bracha, and that's what we just finished. Um, by the way, they get shorter as we go along. Number three. Number three was about social interactions, social, family, friends, um, enemies. How do we deal with all that? And, and more, most importantly, not how we deal, but how, how, do we, how does our bitachon play out in all of that? And he starts off with something which is really very fascinating. He says, when it comes to social life, um, every person is either goes through periods of loneliness when they don't have the surrounding people that they would want to have, whether it's immediate family, whether it's friends, whether it's social groups, whatever it is, there are times when we're lonely. And there are times when we're overly, um, uh, how do you say, we're, we're overly socially stimulated. We're so busy with 
family or friends or responsibilities, social responsibilities, and that sometimes we're wishing to be lonely. <laughs> like, can everyone leave me alone? Right? I, I, I'm looking for time on my own. And it's, it's interesting, but he says, he says, every person at every point of their life is at one of these places. Either there's too much loneliness in their life, or there's too much stimulation in their life. You mean we're never in the middle? <laughs> he says, there's always, we're vacillating. And it doesn't mean there might be a, there might be a perfect moment. But I'm saying there's, he says, there's always, it could be a little bit too much on this side, a little bit too much on this side. And there's always room for a person to think like, like, uh, uh, I wish I would have more of the other side. So the, the lonely person might be wishing, I wish I had more friends. I wish I had more family. I wish I had more surrounding. And I'm lonely. And the other the person on the other side of the spectrum might be wishing, I wish I could just be myself. I wish I could have time to think and to grow and to accomplish. I'm so busy with so many different involvements and so on and so forth. How can I deal with it? Right? And, and he says, ultimately, and here again, he, the, this sefer can be boiled down to one word, of course, which is bitachon. And he says, ultimately, a person with real bitachon has to be able to look at every set of circumstances that they have in life and recognize the beauty of that particular set of circumstance, its special bracha, and that that's what Hashem wants from me now. And that I could use that bracha in the best way Dafka by Hashem putting me in this situation now. And this is a little bit tough what he's saying because really he's telling us to, on the one hand, we daven for Hashem to help us and we daven for, there's no question that we, 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 we always daven and believe that Hashem will give us better. But at the same time, there's the concept of trusting that where I am right now, for me right now has bracha. And he starts off with what has to be something uh, what's the, the most obvious difficulty is a person who's taka lonely. He's a person who doesn't, again, whether it's family, whether it's friends, whatever it is, and a person is themselves. And he says, it's important to reflect on the bracha, sometimes, of being on one's own. Mm-hmm. And he says, the truth is, he says, if you think on a bigger picture, the story of our neshama coming into this world, the neshama is also lonely. Right? It comes into this world, it's out of its natural... Uh, I don't know if habitat is the right word, but the place where the neshama is surrounded by all of the neshamas and, and godliness and so on, it comes into this world, and therefore the neshama is like called a ger in this world. A ger means, uh, not, not ger, a convert, but a ger like, a, like a, um, a foreigner, like a foreigner, a stranger. And yet it has its mission in this world that it has to do. Um, and he says many times when a person is alone, when a person is not... Um, encumbered or doesn't have responsibilities, a person is able to accomplish certain things that they can't do when they're very busy with family and friends and so on and so forth. And they're able to grow in certain ways internally when they're alone, when they're not with others. And when we are in a situation that we are alone and we believe that Hashem put me here, that means at that point is when I can shine in those areas where being alone is helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, the Nevi'im. The Nevi'im were always loners. He says, they weren't part of, you know, everyone. Um, he talks about um, uh, Elio, when Elio Navi meets Elisha. 
and Eliyahu sees him, and Elisha is uh, doing is working in the field, and Eliyahu throws his garment on him, and Elisha says, "Okay, I'm coming with you. I'm going to go kiss my father and my mother, and I'm telling everyone goodbye, and I'm coming with you." And Eliyahu says, "Fine." Because to be a Navi meant to sort of distance themselves from everyone else, including their families and including the, their friends, and just go bidarke hanevua. That it brought a person to a different level of ruchnius. Um, it's interesting, the Avais, um, the Shvatim, what do they all do? What was their job? They were shepherds. Why? Because a shepherd wanders off in the field, he's by themselves, he's alone, he's able to meditate and daven and connect to Hashem and be in a different spiritual level. It's hard to do that when you're at home with a million different responsibilities. So he says, when a person is in that situation, that they feel lonely, so instead of moping and being cranky and having all the, you know, oh, how can I, how can anyone expect anything from me? And I've become a Rahmanis because after all, right? Mm-hmm. He says to understand, the real Boteh Hashem looks at Hashem and says, I'm davening for changes. Until then, I recognize I'm put in this situation which gives me a certain unique set of abilities and circumstances. And let me flourish with that bracha that was given to me, to see the bracha in it. Um, he talks about a, a whole, he talks about one of the Prussian, the Prussian, writers, the, the way they translate it is ascetics, ascetic, I don't know, the people who were like separated from everything and, and he says they, they went to a city and there's a whole city of people that were sitting there and they were just, um, they were misbeid, they were, uh, like medit- they were, yeah, medit- doing Avedis Hashem, he asked, where are your families? So he said that their families were in the next town over and they took care of them, but they would come here all day and just learn and daven. You know, I don't know if this is the uh, Hasidic um, approach to what we're supposed to be doing, but he brings out the concept of the aloneness, of the aloneness that, that there is beauty and purpose to aloneness as well. Mm-hmm. So it's not something we're supposed to necessarily look for, but when a person is in that situation, to be boteach b'ashem, Hashem wants me here at this point, and I should utilize that to its best. On the other hand, mm-hmm. on the other hand, he says, what about a person who's so busy because they have a house full of family and they have more and more family and they have so many friends and they're always being called everywhere and I can't get in you know, a minute edgewise to, to learn Torah or to daven or to do anything inward. So he says, he says, recognize the bracha in that and your mission in that. Every person has a unique mission. Our missions are where Hashem puts us and in the set of circumstances that Hashem gives us. So he says, if you're a, you have a big family and you have so many people, so you have an achrayas. You have an achrayas. You have a responsibility. And your responsibility is to help them. Your responsibility is to care for them and to tend for them and to guide them and to teach them and to help them grow. But he says, and here he says, he says, why? He says don't do it um, because you're looking for them to honor you or to repay you or that they should praise you, or give you kavod, or that you should be the boss over them. He says, if you do it for any of these reasons, they're not going to happen. He says, it's, you know, they might or they might not, but if you're taking care of your children, or your friends, or your cousins, or whatever, because you're hoping that they'll, uh, that they'll uh, you know, give you greatness because of it, he says, could be, yeah, could be not. That's not the mission. The mission is, if, I, if Hashem put me in that situation, um, then that means that that is my achrayis and that's what Hashem wants from me now. So if I'm that big, very big, big family of people who need me and are looking up to me, so I'm going to go check out to the, uh, to the midbar, to the desert, to be alone, that's shirking my mission. 
Right? Hashem put me in that situation. That means I should recognize the bracha and that and devote myself um, to devote myself to, uh, to, to, to that avodah that Hashem put me in at that time. Okay. That is as that. Now, And he, said, and he says, he says, when a person um, fulfill, uh, devotes himself to those missions in whatever place they are, then he can be sure that Hashem will see that he reaps the reward of his avoda. In other words, if, it's, if it was a lonely type of avoda, then the person will be matzliach and that. If he does it with proper bitachon, if it was the avoda with the family and so on and so forth, so then that is where Hashem will give him the bracha as long as we recognize that whichever situation it is, again, it's a bracha of Hashem, find that bracha in that situation and utilize it to its fullest. Okay. That is as far as family and direct responsibility. What about taking the social picture a little bit bigger? Other people that, um, I, need, I need their help. You know, there's other people out there, being that we're part of a community, part of a social network, sometimes we have to turn to people for help. Where does bitachon play into that? And he says, he says that, and he's going to say things I think that we can really already know where he's going to go with this. He's going to say like this. The way Hashem created the world is that people need people and people help people. We turn to people for help in all different ways, financial or advice or helping in a certain situation, getting through a situation. We turn to people. So the real Boteach Hashem looks at it the following way, which is Hashem is the source of my help. And yet Hashem has agents. And those agents are the people around me. And sometimes the agent could be a very wise or wealthy or great person who's clearly higher than me in various ways. In other words, he has things that I don't have. Sometimes the agent might be someone who is lesser than me in many ways. But that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if the agent is bigger or smaller, greater or, 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 or lesser, because he's merely an agent. And therefore, I put my bitachon in Hashem, and I approach the various people who can help me, whether they're stronger or weaker or wiser or less wiser, or wealthier or less. And he says, and if one of them helps me and they're successfully helped me, who do I thank? First and foremost, Hashem. Because I always remember that they are an agent. And then, though, I thank them as well. Because they were the agent. I never look at them as being the source, but an agent also deserves a thank you because they were a good shliach. They were a good agent. So I say, Baruch Hashem, and thank you. Because you, that person who helped me, was a shliach of Hashem, and therefore they deserve thanks for that, but only in the context of understanding what they are. Um, I, I don't remember if I've shared it, I probably have. Um, I, I know that when we started learning this a couple months ago, I said that really what inspired us to learn this was um, the whole story with Rabbi Shalom Archai who talks much about Shara Bitochon. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I'll let out a little bit, a little secret here that very few people know that Emir Sashem, he's going to be in town here speaking after Pesach. Bezer mm-hmm. Sashem for the Sima Rambam. Um, but be that as it may, so uh, I remember when he came out of jail, and so um, that Shabbos I went to New York to, to be with him, to celebrate with him and the family. Um, and on Sunday, the lawyers had drafted an entire letter of thanks to President Trump, who was the one who, former president, obviously, by now, um, who, who had, um, who was the one who commuted him. 
So they, they, the lawyers came on Sunday to the house and they had this very official letter for him to sign and they're sending it off to the White House. I remember he, I was sitting right next to him. He read it and he read it again. He says, I'm not signing this. He says, why not? He says, because it's too much focus on thanking him when the main thanks is to Hashem. He was an agent. We have to thank him also. So he said, no, but it says with the help of God there. He says, it's yeah. not, he said, it's not, it's not clear. It's not loud enough. He said, I'm not signing it until it doesn't say by the grace of God at the beginning, mentioned somewhere in the middle and again at the end. Then I'll be happy to sign it. And they had to go back, they had to go back and rewrite it and whatever. And this is a person who just came out of jail because the president signed his commute, you know, that paper to commute him. But he was, it was a no-go. He didn't do it. And they, they had to go back to the office and you know, they brought back the papers the next day and he looked it over. Now he signed it. But that's exactly what he's saying here. He says, yes, in life we do receive help from others and they are deserving of our thanks. But in the context, understanding they're agents, we thank Hashem who's the source of the bracha and the agent who was the good shliach and had the schus of being the one to bring Hashem's bracha to us. And that's exactly what he's saying here. At the same time he says, what if the person who I went to for help didn't help me. Especially if they tried and they didn't help me. He says, I'm never upset at them because what that means is Hashem is saying that right now I'm not giving the brach. Right? He says, if, if we had the proper bitachon, so A, we're not, when we're thankful, the thanks is to Hashem primarily, and when it doesn't work out, we're not really upset with them because we understand it's not that they decided that I shouldn't be helped. It was that right now Hashem said the bracha is going to have to wait a day or two. So they're just, you know, caught in the middle. They're an agent that wasn't given something to give over. And therefore he says that solves so many of the different uh, fights and bad feelings. I felt they should have helped me and they didn't help me, right? never be angry. Right. Essentially the real Balbitachim is never angry. That's the truth of it. That's the truth. Okay. Yes. We're, we're not hearing you well at all. Oh, can you hear me now? Uh, right now I do hear yes. Okay, the concept of high colors and you have to be with those who, who do help you. Correct? Yes. What about those people if you do stuff for them? And they have an attitude to you saying, it's not from you, it's from Hashem. <laughs> right. So, the attitude... The attitude... They have this... They take religiosity and it, they put it on themselves. Right. So, like... And with that, they, 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 they curtail their cars to talk to other people. Right. Right. Very good question. And very... A point well made. And that's why... He was, he's very clear here, and I, th- and I hope I was clear as well, that both are necessary. It's true when we say it's not from you, it's from Hashem. Everything does come from Hashem. And therefore our thanks is first and foremost to Hashem. At the same time, there is the importance and the obligation to be thankful to the agent who brought it to me as well. The fact that Hashem shows that person to be the agent, the fact that the person shows to be the agent is something that makes them worthy, very worthy of us to be thankful to them. And as we know, HaKaras HaTayv is a tremendous foundation in Yiddishkeit and there's, there's you know, so much about it and we're always into saying thank you and it's because we do understand that there is value to the agent. Yet, it's merely an agent and that's what we're talking about here. 
Okay? Um, one more idea that I wanted to get in over here, and that is what about dealing with people who are not trying to help us? In fact, people who are trying to hurt us, our enemies. And what about not just the people who are trying to hurt us, but the people who actually hurt us? How do we deal with them? How does bitachon um, deal with, or how does it relate to dealing with those who seek to hurt us and actually do hurt us? How does bitachon fit in here? And here he says something not easy, fascinating, and powerful. He says, the real Baal Bitochon is never, in, never gets overly angry at their enemies and definitely never looks to avenge themselves from the enemies. And the real Baal Bitochon thanks their enemies. <laughs> That's what he says. I'm not making this up. Um, he says, he says, everything, I'll only do good for them. And before I explain that, I want to say that the Alter Rebbe says exactly the same thing in Tanya. Tanya was written a couple hundred years after Shar HaBitachon, but the Alter Rebbe quotes this from the Zohar. And he says, who is, the, who is the prime model for this in the Torah? Who is someone who was really hurt by others and turned around and only showered them with love and help? I know, I know most of you are mute. Um, what did he say? She say? What did you say? I, I think she said David HaMalach. David HaMalach? Okay, Yov. But you got, go back to the Torah itself, Chumash. In fact, Chumash Bereshis. <laughs> Yosef. Yosef right? Yosef HaTzadik, who his brothers sold him into slavery and wanted to kill him, right? They wanted to kill him, they sold him into slavery. You would think... He had every reason to be good and angry at them. Mm -hmm. But even if he's not going to be so angry, he doesn't have to help them. Right. And instead, he becomes the one who sustains them and their families um, for years to come. So never do we find that he takes out any type of anger at them. He never even gives them like one solid, you know, Muslim was like, what were you people thinking, right? He just returns all of their seemingly very negative things that they did to him with goodness. reward, with goodness and kindness. And the Alter Rebbe in Tanya, chapter 12, quotes from the Zayar, he says, mm. that it is our obligation to learn from Yosef how to deal with enemies. And that is to repay um, only with kindness, even to those who actually not only wanted to, but hurt us. But the question is, how does it make sense? What's the logic to it? And I want to talk about it, very, our time is basically up, but one very, very powerful word. And the truth is that the best answer to this question is from looking at the story of Yosef and his brothers. What did Yosef tell his brothers? When, when the brothers said, don't be angry with us, and so on and so forth, what did Yosef say? He says, Lo atem shalachtem osi heina, kim elokim. You didn't send me here. You thought you were sending me here. Hashem sent me here. And for what? To become a king. So you people were actually agents to do something wonderful for me. I was a common shepherd, and because of your wonderful deeds, you made me a king. Now, you didn't realize that that's what you were doing. You thought you were hurting me. But you're, you're only agents. In other words, the real Balbitachon, is able to look at everything always as only an agent. 
And this has come up. It comes up in health, and it comes up in money, and it comes up in parnasa. And now we're talking about enemies. The, the real Baal the one who trains themselves every day, that every single thing in life and every single thing in this world comes from one place and one place only. And everything else, be it people, be it animals, be it parnasa, be it health, whatever it is, is merely an agent carrying out a mission. So when that big bad enemy hurts me, what do I see if I'm a real Baal I see that for some reason, Hashem today wanted me to go through a hurtful situation. And Hashem chose this vehicle. Now, I also believe that anything Hashem does is for the good. As Yosef Asadik says, what, I was jailed? I was sold into slavery? Because that's the only way I could become a king. So if I, if I really believe, A, that everything always comes from Hashem, always, and that everything Hashem does is for the good. So what did my enemy do? He was an agent to do something good for me. His intentions may not have been so stellar, right? And I get it. He's, his intentions aren't great and Hashem will take care of him and he has to do tshuva. I know all that. But as far as me, I was a recipient through this person from something from Hashem. It hurt for the moment, like many things. I know this is not easy at all. This is not easy at all. This goes against everything that we think. But bitachon is a beautiful word. It doesn't always mean it's easy. It's training. It's really training to really look at everything past its external appearance. Now, it always, I always have to say at this point, because um, clearly someone is thinking that or wants to think or wants to ask, uh, does that mean we're supposed to walk over to our enemies and say, please hit me again? No. <laughs> well, thank you for hitting no, me. we're supposed to protect ourselves. And a person is supposed a person is supposed to protect themselves, and that's 100 percent true. We're not talking about that. We're not supposed to, we're supposed to stay out of harm's way, and if someone's trying to hurt us, we're supposed to take protective measures from them. And if we have to, we have to take severe protective measures from them. If we have to call the police, we have to call the police. All of that is true because we have an achrayis according to Allah to protect ourselves. We're not talking about that. We're talking about my feeling that I'm harboring towards that, that they hurt me. And here is where bitachon comes in full power. That the more we're able to truly focus on the fact that nobody has the ability to, has the ability to do anything to us if Hashem doesn't want that to happen to me at that moment. That means whatever happens to me, by whomever does it, and for whatever reason they're harboring in their mind, what's happening to me is what Hashem w- willed to happen to me right now. And that's why, that's what Yosef Asadik really told his brothers. It's the, it's the simple, it's actually the simple meaning of the story of the Chumash. It's not even, it's a deep idea, but it's the story of Chumash where Yosef tells his brothers, I should be angry at you people. You guys didn't sell, sell me here. Hashem sold me here. What Yosef was telling is for each and every one of us to understand, when someone hurts me, they, they didn't hurt me. Hashem at that point wanted that to happen to me for some good reason. Hopefully I'll see the good reason. And when I will, I'll actually go back to that neighbor and say, thank you, you know, you brought me somewhere I never would have gotten on my own. And that's exactly what Yosef told his brothers. And that's how bitachon plays in to these social interactions, whether it's people who help us, whether it's people who hurt us. We talked earlier about the family and so on. And this is how bitachon becomes central also in the social arena as well. And with that, he finishes the third 
section, right? We talked about our own personal body needs. We talked about financials. Now we talk about social relations and how bitachon plays such an important part in every one of these. And with that, he finishes chilek shlishi, the third part of the seven that will continue in this chapter next week in your session.